0: You're listening to Adamair MDGED Underground Cartoon Therapy. How's that, motherfucker? Huh? You like that shit? Huh? Welcome the fuck back. To Adamair MD G E D and some underground cartoon fucking therapy, this is the rock and roll show, and I really hope you fucking enjoy it. (laughs) We're off to a good start fake UFO attacks, the first thing I want to talk about on the rock and roll show. (laughs) Welcome back guys, and you know I had to take a break for a minute. like Lemmy was talking about Trump's boys, Trump and the boys. Hmm. This song's more relevant now than it was when it came out. Oh, Well, you got that part fucking right, Lemmy. We miss you, buddy. We knew if shit was over with by the time you were fucking gone. Rock and roll fucking died pretty much with Lemmy. He took it like a goddamn bandit. (laughs) Son of a bitch. (laughs) It was, uh... I think it was like 1985 or 1986, and the Orgasmatron Motorhead Iron-On was at this t-shirt shop that was on the boardwalk where I lived at on the island in North Carolina. They had a boardwalk that smelled like these classic donuts and fucking strong-ass donuts and strong-ass fucking cotton candy. and fucking rednecks playing pool and drinking beer. (laughs) I remember going into that t-shirt shop and I saw that fucking iron-on man. And I remember being like, fuck yeah dude. I had it pressed onto a black t-shirt and wore it for a while. And I knew I was in the Motorhead because of the kick-ass art that they had. It attracted me. I knew that's what I wanted to listen to. So don't knock the power of the cover artist, man, because they make that shit possible for you. <laughs> I saw that fucking locomotive with the Motorhead head, and I was like, oh fuck yeah. <laughs> I love this fucking song, man.
1: Yeah.
0: Mars, the god of war. I will fucking cut you down. And you know who that is. Marduk. Good old Marduk. some fucking troubled times, man. You know what? Just put your fucking music on, whatever you love. This one's for the rock and rollers. I just wanted to do a straight up one here at the end of the world. Pretty much fucking feel that way. So, you know, without fucking further ado, man, let's get this motherfucker rolling. (laughs) Welcome back I love you all man <laughs> let's rock hey guys welcome back I uh when I first started doing the podcast I didn't realize how addictive they were gonna be and I didn't realize it's kind of this whole like Thing about them, you know, about what I was really wanting to say and all this stuff. And I realized I was talking about a lot of heavier shit. (laughs) I guess I am slow a little bit, eh? But I realized I wanted to slow it down. So now I'm just going to put them out weekly and it'll give you time to think about it. Um, or, you know, just sit back with it. You know, somebody said, yeah, podcasts are really only good every like three weeks or <laughs> I never really thought about it like that, you know, but I always thought about these kind of documentary news resources that would come out like Paul Harvey or whatever. And I got really addicted to Paul Harvey, these long drives out in the country in North Carolina with my grandparents listening to this guy, you know, and that's the way it is on this date. <laughs> he had these long pauses and stuff. He was pretty dry and interesting, but, you know, I don't want to do it like that, per se, but, uh, I guess I kind of wanted to be in that format where it was coming out daily, but, um, and it could, too, you know, but I think for what I'm doing, it's got, I'm just gonna go ahead and try a weekly deal for it, guys. I hope you guys are all right with that, but I've got plenty there. I knocked out 30 fucking episodes in a month, and then, wanted to fucking kill myself, basically, (laughs) I was like, fuck this shit, so anyway, uh, this one's a fun one, and um, (laughs) we're gonna, I'm gonna take you on a tour of what rock and roll meant to me in my life, and without further ado, let's just start from the beginning, or what I know about it, the beginning, alright, so, this was a band called uh, Pearls Before Swine, and they had, a, <laughs> they had a album called uh, One Nation Underground. And my old man and my uh, uncle Bruce, they were listening to this shit in high school, you know. And um, they had this other guy named Terry Whitman with them. And they decided, hey, man, you know, they got inspired by this sound.
1: Come by again to die again, well.
0: Try again another time mm. Shit was heavy to him, man. Hadn't come out yet. And this was like breaking that kind of spiritual philosophies and shit. Wanted, people wanted to write about more. Follow. These guys were kids, man. They wanted to do this shit. But the they were big sword. dudes, you know. So when they were playing their instruments, Did they just
1: hit it a lot
0: harder. More of a Black inside, Sabbath, fuzzier thunder. end. So by 67, 68, they were recording, putting out shit. That was way heavier than this shit that you're that listening I to right again, now. Well, try
1: again another time.
0: <laughs> it was funny, you know, my my dad ended up getting married at a young age, and when my mom was a fundamentalist was Christian, the you know. The and was the it was what he thought he needed to do him. or whatever, but... It wasn't right, you know, and in the end she made him lose his rock and roll and make him stop playing the way that he was playing, and it was wrong, and uh, he did. Did (laughs) He started this, like, light AM rock band with my mom, and that's what she wanted. She sounded like Crystal Gale or... Whatever was popular in that slow, almost country vein of women singing at that time in the early 70s, (laughs) you know. By the time my uh, mom and dad had me, you know, my dad wanted me to be a rock and roller, and I wasn't a rock and roller. (laughs) I I was a cartoonist. I think he wanted me to take his title because he couldn't carry it. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know. He just thought I could do it. I fell into it later on, but I did it on my own, you know. Mike Diana says, hey, by the way. <laughs> anyway, you know, he wanted me to play this rock and roll, and. I didn't know uh, how to really do it, but I knew I had the ear. I had the ear for rock and roll. He knew I had it, too. So he wanted that fucking gold out of me. He really wanted me to know how to play guitar on my own at a very young age. (laughs) Didn't go that way. Not quite. You know, when I was a kid, my mom was putting the fucking kibosh on fucking certain shit we couldn't listen to, you know. But my dad found a way around it and would play WMMS, which was getting broadcasted out of Cleveland. Right here's an ad, a classic, the sound of one of these animated ads from the fucking rock and roll buzzard drawn by uh, uh, Dave Helton. Just a fucking cool ass cartoon that you should fucking know. Anyway, um, here's that fucking classic commercials bite. Hold on. Oops. Let's go, motherfucker.
1: Greetings from the home of the Buzzard! Open your ears and minds,
0: and follow me! 101FL. Wow! So there you go. <laughs> you know, I grew up on that kind of thing, right there, where WMMS was just in my face and like had these token jokes in the morning to top it off, and it was just like they would tell these nasty old jokes on the air, <laughs> and and then they had this great laugh like.
1: <laughs> oh, God! Oh, my God!
0: And, you know, just kind of roll on like that and just get you laughing in the morning. Get your day going. And then they play rock all day. That was, that was it, man. That was Those were my days growing up in Cleveland. Pat Benatar, The Cars. Fucking a lot of what they want to call some classic rock now, but it was not the same, you know. It was, like, this way cooler time because it was fresh and new and by the shit this time becomes classic rock it's like oh god get out the crutches (laughs) anyway you know it doesn't last so long but uh the next thing i know i was going into pop man and got into michael jackson pretty deep dude that was definitely a part of my musical experience my parents saw it my dad was concerned (laughs) he kept why would you like him Oh, well, I'm sorry you don't get it already. (laughs) You know, hold on. (laughs) When I was in fifth grade, I drew this picture of Michael Jackson in pencil. I was telling Jason Shithead that on that season finale episode of season one. But, yeah, I loved Michael Jackson, man, you know. He was like my shit, dude. And I just thought he was so fucking talented, man. (laughs) You know, later on when they were talking about this thing, you know, with him being the super pedophiles. I'm going to tell you straight up, don't ever tell me that shit because I will never believe it. And I believe that Michael Jackson was a good dude and he would never hurt a kid, to be fucking honest. And I loved him so much. And I still do. And I believe him, man. Corey Feldman was the only one that came forward and told the San Bernardino Police Department to, by the way, that... Michael Jackson in that time period when he, Corey Feldman, was working with Steven Spielberg and his guys were, like, fondling him and molesting Corey Feldman, basically, and he needed to get away. Michael Jackson knew it, and he offered him a place to stay, and Corey Feldman said, you know what he did? He let me be me, and I was just able to be free, and he didn't make me feel any anything sexual or like anything like that at all. He just let me be me, man. So Michael Jackson changed my life and is it, well, he's not really rock and roll, but you know what, dude? <laughs> he's just about as rock and roll as the rest of it because <laughs> he was he came from an abusive ass background. He was forced into this shit. And yeah, it is fucking R&B and like this beautiful fucking music, but it has rocking it, man, you know. <laughs> Somehow, he was able to get through. He knew it too, man. That's why he had that cool ass jacket. Aw, <laughs> uh, I, I believe in you, Michael. I believe in you, man. I believe it. I believe it. Aw. Uh, I'm sorry they did that to you, man. I'm sorry you had that hard-ass life, but you know what, dude? Thank you for being there for me when I was a kid, dude. And you know what? I believe it. I believe you, man. All right, on to the next one. Right before Michael Jackson had come out in the mid-80s, it was like 79 turning into 80. And... I remember being in Akron, Ohio with my mom at this department store called Gold Circle. And that was the first time, that was the first time I saw it. You wouldn't believe it. I saw my first Iron Maiden record. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't even express to you guys how much Iron Maiden means to me. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> fucking eight years old. <laughs> I remember picking up that record cover, man. And my mom saw me pick that shit up, and she goes,
1: You better put that fucking shit down right now, or I'll rip your goddamn eyeballs out.
0: <laughs> right in the middle of the fucking department store man everybody's looking at her she's a fucking wing nut. they weren't wrong her brother uh, Jeff he's a fucking metalhead you know and he's the only other one in the family that is a metalhead besides me man but he knew I wanted to hear that fucking Iron Maiden album man and he had it he was already telling me about Paul DeAnno he already knew him He knew all these guys, Lemmy, he knew fucking Ozzy and Black Sabbath, he knew Deep Purple, he knew Manowar, (laughs) he knew fucking Wendy O. And it may not be right, but the first time I heard my first Iron Maiden album, this one right here, (laughs) I uh... (laughs) Because Iron Maiden and Iron Maiden had already come out, but this was just now hitting Ohio. you got to imagine, man. And so by the time it really came out, it was the fucking killers. I wanted to hear it. My Uncle Jeff was like, alright, man, listen to this shit. Took me on a rock and roll tour. Unloaded issues of Easy Rider on me and all this fucking rock and roll paraphernalia. paraphernalia, And I was just like, holy fuck, dude, this is... This is the most fucking insane, incredible thing. I can't explain to you guys what a rush. My uncle Jeff was a fucking relax. <laughs> you know that he was the metalhead. He used to uh, collect all these cars, you know. and uh, it was one time he was uh, I was 11 years old. And people who wouldn't pay back their debts to my uncle because he was a biker. And he had a gang called the Center Road Rats. (laughs) And if you owed my uncle, man, he'd come get your fucking car, man. He'd repo that motherfucker. So he took me down to the countryside one time. And he had to get two cars. And I was 11 year old and he threw the keys at me and he goes, Here you go, man. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with those? He goes, well, I can't drive both of them at the same time. So that's when I stole my first car. (laughs) A fucking 77 fucking Chevy Nova. (laughs) Pretty awesome, dude. Listening to Iron Maiden. Jeff would fucking uh, take little shots of whiskey and shit here and there, and... He uh, would wake me up at 3 in the morning if I was ever out there, you know. He lived in my grandma's basement, and they, they were always barking at him, Jeff, get out of there! <laughs> and he didn't want to get out of there. He was a scumbag biker, and he had a good heart. He wasn't your classic scumbag, you know, He was a, but he was a dirty fucker, never bathed. I loved him, man, he was great listening to this shit with him at, telling me the stories, he pulled out this picture one day, and it was Wendy O giving him a blowjob, and they're both flashing their hor- the metal horns, you know, <laughs> probably not what you should be showing an eight-year-old <laughs> at all, but it happened, nonetheless, fucking Jeff, man. The guy's got his hands in metal, dude. He was with Motorhead. He was roadieing for Lemmy when they broke the Guinness Book of World Records in Cleveland, Ohio, and broke the fucking roof in the fucking theater there and beat ZZ Top, man. <laughs> Pretty fucking badass. Enough to make your fucking brain bleed. Not the only thing that 7980 was good for on the music end for me, man. There was another, like, totally different fucking phenomenon happening with me, man. It wasn't metal, it was punk, <laughs> it was something else. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw Rock and Roll High School, dude, and it fucking flipped my ass upside down. I was like, oh my fucking God, dude. And the other one was meatloaf in this movie called Roadie, which was pretty cool and a lot like this, but the Ramones brought the energy, man. (laughs) And once you're a Ramones fan, you're a... Pretty much always a Ramones fan, that's what I've noticed.
1: <laughs>
0: PJ Souls as Riff Randall. Oh my god. Am I allowed to have a crush on this high school chick? <laughs> I fucking did. I had all these, and the Muppet movie had just come out when Rock and Roll High School came out, and I started mixing those psychologies, the Rock and Roll Muppets, Rock and Roll and Muppets, and the way they're both kind of filmed, the Muppet movie and Rock and Roll High School are kind of chaotic. I started uh, getting inspired by both of them at the same time, and that kind of went into my comics, man, and I started drawing these, like, fucking... Punk rock kind of Muppet motherfuckers, you know? Kermit the Frog always hanging out in the corner with a Liberty Spikes. (laughs) That's kind of where that came from. Pretty cool, man. What a great time period that was. And that, what a great fucking movie. Holy fuck and amen. The next thing you know, I'm in middle school and the journey's just fucking beginning on music, man. Holy fuck. (sighs) I had this friend named Eric Burton, man. (laughs) He's like, what's up, dude? Oh, he just had a scowl on his face. I remember he gave me my first black flag tape. It was in my head. (laughs) Henry Rollins kind of changed my life when I was in middle school. <clears throat> Plus, I just started my like publication career, and I became the youngest editorial newspaper cartoonist in American history. I beat the guy in Chicago by fucking six years. He was nineteen. I was thirteen. And I was already drawing up a storm, man. I needed some music to match what kind of shit I was kind of feeling and going through. Iron Maiden was cool, but it wasn't hitting everything. This shit was all over the fucking board, man. Black Flag. Totally different schism, man. Totally different release of freedom, you know? I still love the fucking metal. I'm always gonna love metal. but. they really cover two different things, man, you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways. It's, it's feeling, it's just fucking feeling. You can mix them up and do all kinds of shit to music, whatever the fuck you want to do, you know. I remember when I was uh, in high school, I started high school in Hollandale High, uh, in Hollandale, Florida. And I was in fucking science class, you know, it was like our first week in high school. (sighs) You're kind of getting to know everybody. Some people are there from middle school, it's a little different, it's weird. Middle school 6.0. Anyway, dude, this guy comes in. He comes into the class. And I didn't know it, but it was Johnny Depp, man. And he had just started being on 21 Jump Street. And he looks at me, and he sees that I got a mohawk and all this shit already. And he goes, that's cool as fuck, dude. <laughs> and he pulled out the... a copy of Black Flag My War on cassette. And he said, you ever hear of these guys, Black Flag? And I was like, fuck yeah, dude! And he goes, you want this? I can't take it with me. I was like, you can't? Why not? And he goes, cause they're not... it's just the rules. It's just the rules of where I'm going, and I'm, I was like, where are you going? He goes, I don't really know. And that was the beginning of Johnny Depp's fucking film career, when he handed me that goddamn copy of Black Flag My War. I shit you not, dude. True story. I was also in school at the same time with that guy from Two Life Crew, and every time he'd go to the bathroom, all these chicks would go and help him hold his dick, I guess. I don't know what the fuck. Always be with that motherfucker. Following him around a bunch of old fucking high school betties. <laughs> I was always skipping school, man. I was listening to Black Flag, Dead Kennedys, Misfits, Circle Jerks, DOA. All this shit came into play, man. Because basically, I had to go to... Jamaica Beach one time, cause my mom was making me go to this youth fucking Christian youth group thing or whatever, or, or she wouldn't get off the fuck my, aunt, my ass about it. So of course I go to this fucking Christian youth group fucking thing. And it's like every fucking church in southern fucking Florida coming to meet and shit. Jamaican Beach, Florida. I had a bunch of fucking stink bombs on me dude, like Bart Simpson would. I set one on fire, or I I lit one, and I I threw it into this room, <laughs> and it fucking set this girl's room on fire. Fortunately, no one got hurt, but the preacher, when they had this all 6,000 churches sitting there, and they were like, we need whoever set this room on fire to stand up and come forward about it, and da-da-da-da, and I was like, you <laughs> I stood up right away. I had no reservation. I was like, I fucking did it, and I don't really give a fuck, and I'm out of here. And I walked down the street, and I found a punk rock shop, and I went inside, and I saw every punk rock band t-shirt and fucking sticker. The rest is downhill, man. I was into punk. So, you know, it starts on the East Coast for me. I go from North Carolina getting into punk and then eventually down into Florida, skateboarding and all this other shit. And I fucking ended up back in uh, North Carolina. And uh, that's really where this really cool part of my music history comes from is my brother Todd Brown. (laughs) I'm gonna tell you the story. We don't talk anymore, man, you know. He got 2 oh, US gung-ho, and I don't fucking give a fuck about that shit. I still feel like he should know better, but whatever. That's on him as an adult, dude. That's not about me. But when we were kids, we were punk as fuck, dude. Inseparable. <laughs> I love fucking my brother, man. I didn't know he was my brother at first, you know. So what happened was he ended up being my real brother, dude. What the fuck? Yep. True story, dude. I met him at school in Wilmington, North Carolina. and I just thought he was a school dude with a mohawk and we just hit it off and all this shit. And uh, one day after, I think it was like six months into school or whatever... Our fucking redneck principal asshole, fucking, he decided he wants to get these punk rockers out of the school, you know, and all this shit, dude. He's gonna do anything to fuck with us, right? Listen to this shit, dude. This is amazing. Because this is a true story, dude. I was walking by the principal's office, and I heard (laughs) the principal talking to these surfer dicks, you know, these preppy surfer jock dicks, you know, with the Clorox bangs. And he's like, I want you to go after these punk rocker motherfuckers. Startify with them, I'll pin it on them, let's get them out of here. At least we're a little big, you know what I mean? (laughs) I totally heard this shit, so I ran to the cafeteria. And I saw fucking Todd and Eric Burden reconnected with that dude, you know. And all these guys, you know, they were all the punks in the high school at that time. There was actually a lot of them, dude. I won't fuck around, there was a lot. More than there is now. Because people don't fucking have the balls. That's pretty much what happened. Boomers ruined it too, man, for everyone. (laughs) Fucking dicks. Okay, (laughs) boomers. So anyway, man, me and Todd, I tell Todd, I'm like, Hey, man, these surfer dicks are going to come in here and start a fucking fight and they're gonna suspend us, and thin it on us, and da 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 da. He's like, oh yeah, well let's go out with a bang, and as soon as he said that, the fucking surfers came into the cafeteria. Man, we got in this fight, man. Fists were fucking flying, dude. Lunch trays, people were throwing fucking food. It was fucking awesome, dude. It was fucking sick. Classic fucking food fight. Classic riot, you know, it was badass. So anyway, dude. Todd got his fucking nose busted. He was bleeding, whatever. And we were in the bathroom, and then I was like, I'll always have your back, you know that? And he goes, thank you, brother. And I was like, no problem, brother. (laughs) So we got suspended. There was nothing, you know, the whole thing was set up, you know, that fucking Watergate. But we went to a school called Hoggard, so it was really Gate. (laughs) Anyway, dude. I couldn't be at my house. My dad didn't even know I was suspended, whatever. He said, come on over to my house, dude. So I stayed with him for a few days while we were suspended. And I found out Todd could play fucking guitar and not only that, he could play guitar like a motherfucker, man. Our bond was misfits. The misfits, man, we had the devil locks
1: within the balance, but you know hell breaks loose. Get out of with a breaking in love. Yeah, my whole world breaks loose.
0: <laughs> oh, man. We loved each other, dude. We were fucking like punks as fuck, dude. We were like braver than all the other punks, dude. We were badass, man. Me and my brother were fucking a... we were the dudes. <laughs> so one day his mom comes and I I never met her before, man. Vicky. And she's got a girlfriend named Jackie. And that's pretty audacious in North Carolina at that time. They both work at a factory. Like Laverne and Shirley. Nobody did. Everybody just thought they were best friends. And it didn't really matter. No one fucked with them anyway. So. <laughs> she comes to the house and she's talking to me. And she knows we've been suspended. She doesn't give a fuck. She's punk as fuck too, you know. And Jackie's pretty punk too, dude. For older ladies, older than us, you know. At that time period. And so she offers me a joint. And Todd gets all pissed off and he goes, Mom, don't offer my friends that fucking hippie shit, dude. And, uh... (laughs) She starts looking at me all weird. I thought, well, what's the problem? So I asked her, is there something wrong? She goes, where are you from? And Todd goes, Oh, he's from Akron just like we are, Mom. And she goes, Oh my God. And I was like, Why? What's the problem? She goes, Your dad's name is Bill. And I said, Yeah. She goes, Oh, I hate to tell you guys this, but you guys are brothers, for real. <laughs> Me and Todd looked at each other like, Yeah, right, whatever. I didn't believe her. That shit wasn't happening in my family. (laughs) She goes, yeah, I can prove it. Where's your dad? I was like, he's at home. He just got off work and shit. She's all, well, time to get the fuck on down here, dude. So I fucking went down there and called my dad. He came over and he came to the door. He's like, sees Vicky and he goes, Vicky? And he proved it right then and she goes and he goes hey is this your son looking at Todd and Todd's all yep and Adam's pretty much my brother so any he, so I guess that makes us brother or some smart-ass shit so so any dad of his is pretty much a dad of mine that's what he fucking said I couldn't believe it I fucking kicked him in the leg I ran to the fucking, uh, kitchen and I was crying and shit, dude. And Vicky's all, what the fuck's the problem? And I was like, look, that guy's a monster. You guys don't understand. She goes, I get it, honey. You know what? This will always be our secret. 30 years later, she died. Lung cancer. Me and Todd separated because he became politically righteous. I'm sorry about that. So you know what that's a fucking killer ass story and I'll always love my brother and I know he'll always love me no matter what the fuck happens because that's how it is but he could play that guitar man I remember the first song he played wasn't a misfit song either it was fucking Ziggy Stardust by David Bowie and it fucking blew my mind and it was really because of Todd Brown that I was like, you know what? I'm gonna fucking learn a power chord now, motherfucker. And that's what got me into playing music. And my career would have gone on for the next fucking 27 years, man. By the time I had met him.
1: There I go! It's over!
0: And this story, this part of the story is over. Where I go and it's over He brought the Misfits out in me man Todd He was cool as fuck dude Still one of my favorite punk rock motherfuckers Where I go and it's a go 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 go. go 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 I go go a go. go go a go. go go a go. go go, I go, go. Go, go. Where am I going when it's over? By the time high school was over, me and Todd were like starting to separate as friends already. And uh, I wanted to fucking leave. I was in an abusive ass fucking thing on the island. I needed something more than the punk rock I was already listening to, too. I hadn't really heard... Crust yet, man, but when I got into Crust Punk, dude, that shit fucking changed my ass, specifically this little band right here unfortunately, the song's only <laughs> 36 seconds long so I'm just gonna play it, but Rudimentary P. 9 and Nick Blinko fucking changed my perspectives <laughs> as Ricky would say from the Trailer Park Boys definitely changed my shit dude, check this shit out Come on, you fucking dick. know it. And uh, so basically what happened after that was I left the island and I started, you know, I didn't really, really thinking about playing music so much more than I just wanted to keep drawing. Still more on the drawing tip, but I had done a punk rock band in North Carolina and it was called One Nation Underground. And it was just like the band that I had, with my dad just already, uh, his the, like I said, his band was called One Nation Underground. And I took it because I liked the name. And I didn't even know where he had gotten it. I didn't know he would gotten it from that Pearls Before Swine shit or whatever. But I liked the fucking name of it, and I liked the whole thing about being underground. And uh, I was watching enough like, fucking underground movies like trauma movies, and I was watching a lot of fucking USA Up All Night, and fucking Night Flight, fucking 120 Minutes, Young Ones, fucking Headbangers, Ball. It was a combination of all this shit, and what people were listening to, uh, and I was already into Metallica with Cliff Burton. You know, there was a lot of shit there, man. Just like, you start fucking building up, man, you know. And, uh, I think... By the time I had gone through this whole crusty phase for a few years and shit, you know, I think it was like right in, right in, um, 93 and I heard anal cunt for the first time (laughs) and I thought, dude, this shit was amazing, man. Like, I thought this was the best shit I've ever heard. Uh, Here, give me one second, man. Let me pull that motherfucker up. Yeah, anal cunt was more than metal. It was like something else, dude. It fucking set me free, man, on some anger. (laughs) Fuck yeah, dude. I saw Anal Cunt fucking two times and I watched him destroy Denver- two Denver bars two times in a row, man. Seth Putnam, man, this this guy I got to talk to for a minute over the phone, he said his favorite shit in the world was Morrissey. (laughs) It sounds like it. I watched him destroy one bar and go over the tables and kick everybody's drinks down and shit, he was amazing. And then I saw them five years after that, and they fucking did it again. Destroyed a fucking bar, walked out with two ladies of the evening, and I was like, damn, dude, that's fucking rock and roll, man, you know? (laughs) I was pretty impressed. You know, later on, I was hanging out at this comic book shop all the time, man, and me and one of the dudes there... We became really good friends, and, you know, he's wearing a Slayer hat. We're going to be friends. (laughs) And uh, one day I came in, and I was just high as fuck, dude. And I think I was just ripped on acid and shrooms and drunk and all the whole fucking nine yards, man. I went up to him, and I was like, dude,
1: have you ever fucking heard anal cunt?
0: And I remember that kind of weird glow come over his face, man and he was like anal cunt what the fuck is that like it was the best thing you would ever heard and you know at that time it was that was it and uh that joined me and this guy up to want to start a band And I was like, well, what do you want to call it? he's like, let's call it Colostomizer. And I guess there's a colostomizers in the in Sweden or whatever. It's not the same shit, dude. We were out of Colorado smoking a shitload of dope. And uh, just fucking getting into this cool-ass, excessive rock and roll vein, he was into the Melvins a lot. And I was into death metal. I was more into Morbid Angel, Deicide, Hideous Corpse, cor- Cannibal Corpse. You know, all this other shit that really was inspiring me at that time. Death Metal. Death Metal was huge, dude. You know, I was listening to Morbid Angel for the first time. Listening to Chapel of Ghouls and just being like, fuck. I remember hearing that shit on acid and just being like, oh, God. Oh, fuck. Ah, so amazing. And getting into that whole Death Metal thing. But my buddy, his name was Jeremy and he wanted to start this band and he knew i had all that blood in me and death metal and crust and punk and da 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 and he was into it to an extent but he was really on the other college kind of radio end thing with the melvins and that's what i always considered melvins and i wasn't necessarily into that shit at that point you know but i remember this one day uh we were getting into Russ Meyer flicks pretty heavy at that time and listening to a lot of rock and roll and watching a lot of, like, Russ Meyer underground. And we got... He scored Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And I hadn't seen it yet. I've never seen it. And so he got this cool setup and got this purple light. And I was like, what's this weird purple light? And he goes, dude, just relax. (laughs) And he put on... That fucking Lysol fucking first goddamn thing I ever heard from the Melvins. (laughs) I remember when when he pulled out this hash pipe, you know, and we hit this fucking blonde hash and He had it all fucking ready to roll, man. And motherfucker... (laughs) That hash was so fucking strong. The only other time I'd had hash that strong was... the first time I saw Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Don't smoke hash and watch that dude, please! (laughs) That's... (laughs) Unless you're just that kind of demented fuck, man, but... Not a good idea. But in this case, you know, Jeremy had it all set up. I mean, the guy had the fucking rock and roll aesthetic mind and this whole thing. Oh, God. Can you believe they threw an ad in the middle of that? Listen to this shit. My dream
1: is to help people understand how oh, the universe God. operates.
0: Oh, God. How did I get... So
1: that each person can find their <laughs> own unique purpose within the cosmic <laughs> plan. <laughs>
0: Matias you don't have anything. To, you're not welcome on my show, Matiasio. Since I was three, I began. Oh, to you fucking dick! I was born. Oh, you fucking this part dick! my brain. So we're sitting there, fucking smoking this shit, dude. And that fucking drumbeat right there comes on. It's fucking Dale Crover. My first tale. <laughs> Pretty fucking. It blew me away, man. You know, when you listen to this whole album, it's like a half hour. It's like one song, but it also covers fucking, uh. Flipper. Uh. Sacrifice. And then it covers fucking, uh. Alice Cooper. The, the, the ballad of, uh. Dwight Eddy, or whatever the fuck it's called. And, uh. Hell yeah, dude. It's an amazing fucking album, man. I heard that, you know, and I was like, yeah, I think I'll keep listening to the Melvins. (laughs) Alright. Moving on. (laughs) Colostomizer started getting deep, dude. First, we did our first demo, was in a warehouse with a guy who recorded it on an analog reel-to-reel. And I liked that better. And we did a, a Fleetwood Mac cover, but it was Gold Dust Woman, but we called it Angel Dust Woman. <laughs> and then we did a first, I wrote the song called Skeletor. I wrote the music to it, and Jeremy wrote the lyrics. And it was our first 50-50 all the way down the deal, you know, song, kind of memoriam song. Pretty amazing shit, dude. This is the one that was recorded by Mark Brooks, who ended up uh, becoming the uh, storyboarder for Metalocalypse. This is his recording. I don't know how good it's coming out, but here it is. That's me singing, (laughs) my golden pipes. (laughs) I'm gonna load a bowl and listen to this with you, man. This is how we're gonna close this rock and roll one out, man. Fuck yeah. Nice sound on there. We actually got signed on the fucking Napalm Records America. It ended bad. That's another story. I'll just save that for the Colostomizer episode. (laughs) I'll probably play the song again on that. Probably will. this song we had the fucking demo made we were supposed to open up for the Melvins instead we got to open up for Tad and Clutch that's what happened everybody heard this shit and they were like get off the stage Jeremy says hey we're just doing our jobs buddy and I finished it off by saying, yeah, we don't go knocking sailor dicks out of your fucking mouth, and everybody loved us after that. And we became a hit for a while in Colorado. Yeah, because basically what happened was, too, we started doing a few parties here and there, and then we did this one called uh The Church of the Masturbator. <laughs> It was the church that we ended up playing at or whatever. We didn't actually get to play. We always had this problem because our drummer was 16 years old and shit. Like I said, you know, I'll do the Colostomizer episode because it's pretty complex, and there's really a lot to it, man. You know, inside this few years span of <laughs> this band idea, and it came off sounding like Anal Cut, and then you heard how it sounded then, and that doesn't sound like Anal Cut, you know, I guess the next one, after Colostomizer ended, it ended kind of bad, dude. Me and Jeremy just separated our friendship, man. You know, but I love the dude. Originally, he got me out of an abusive relationship and drug me into music and all those years of whatever I'd been collecting out of music and my ear for it and all the shit that i have been listening to. It went into Colostomizer. After Colostomizer was over, there was a Molten period. And the Doom Metal came out. That's like the next and pretty much the last part I'll probably end this shit on, for real. So give me a fucking second, hold on. After Colostomizer, I felt like it was a tragedy. I felt like I'd wasted a bunch of time. In reality, I had, you know, I was forming myself. And all that shit matters when you're, even if you don't appreciate it or don't want to use it, it still helped form you to get. To where you're going, you know, you don't have to fucking like it. There's plenty of shit I don't fucking like, you know, as far as this being an art therapy podcast, you can see the <laughs> levels of music I was ranging. It was lower chakra area <laughs> shit, you know. But uh, I think I started taking it pretty serious and I wanted to get out of Colossalizer and I wanted to get away from that thing, you know. I started a joke kind of solo act off of Colostomizer and start playing Colostomizer songs solo by myself. But otherwise, dude, you know, it, that was Crack owl. That's where that thing, we've already talked about him. So, And I'll talk about him on another episode as well. He's his own episode, Jesus Christ. Just the whole thing around that Crack owl guy. He's definitely going to come up again. But I was getting into the Doom Metal, and I was getting into that Doom Rock and Roll, and I could see these traces of my dad starting to come back, and sound—we would just done this full circle, you know. <sighs> Acid King, Sleep, you know, High on Fire just came out, you know. Um, and I wanted to start a band. I think there was a couple other guys who felt the same way. So in Denver, it was Black Lamb, Iron Lung, Vile Rune. And I was like the fourth doom metal band. Uh, pretty sure it was we were the first. We were the Fantastic Four. <laughs> pretty badass too. And each one of us had our own sound in the uh, doom metal style. No one was like weak in this field coming out of Denver in the Rockies at that time. You know, my deal was I had a band called Black and Goat Tongue, and I found the right visually aesthetic people. And they didn't know how to play shit. So I fucking taught them how to play this shit. And I taught the one girl, she was with her boyfriend. And they were recovering shit or whatever off junkies. And uh, that was how I could help them, was to get them into this band, you know. And I was hanging out with them this one night. And I would just seen this movie called The Devil's Web. <laughs> And it was this BBC witchcraft movie, you know. And so I just took this little chant that they were saying and I turned it in I told them I wanted to turn it into this song. And I had a my girlfriend became at that time became this singer, and she really she couldn't sing. She's pretty young. I taught her how to sing, I taught these guys how to play guitar and how to play bass. And my drummer I called him Grand Goat, (laughs) but my drummer, fucking Grand Goat, man, he fucking was the only thing that saved my ass and shit, so here's that track, I'll go ahead and uh, end the show, we'll listen to that, and uh, we're gonna call it a day, huh, alright, hold the fuck on, let's bring this motherfucker up, I couldn't, yeah, I was like, dude, we gotta write this song called Devil's Devil's Web, (laughs) that was (laughs) what, here it is. I'm smoking my Buddha Tahoe. Yes, I am. You can hear how the sound had changed since I was in Colostomizer too. But yeah, I'll shut the fuck up. Listen to this. Enjoy this. Pretty cool shit. Yeah, we did a bunch of shows, man. Acid King, Weed Eater, Sour Vein, High on Fires First Door, Croatin. That was sick. We almost played Electric Wizard, but we didn't get in on that one. That was a good show, though. There's definitely more of a gothic edge on this shit, you know? It wasn't intentional, but my girlfriend was just more goth, you know? I just let her have the floor, man. You gotta let people have it. I was able to combine it the right way. We did a tour. I went to New Mexico. (laughs) Found these famous hot springs. Did psychedelics in those and stayed in there for a better part of a day. You know, we played a bunch of shit. In the end, the, my rhythm guitarist and the bassist, they as a couple, decided, oh, well, we're going to go to Bo- uh, India and become super Buddhist. and decided to leave me high and dry to go follow their spiritual faith. And just decided to do it, too, like right when we were like on the cusp of breaking in, of course. (laughs) I remember I called up my drummer and I said, on April Fool's Day, and I said, Oh my God, we got a record deal through Man's Ruin. Which is the fucking Doom guys, you know? And uh, they were a major Doom label. And dude was all, really, dude? Really? Oh my god! And I was like, yeah, April Fools. He's like, oh, you fucker. And then later on, after a few more bigger shows, like High on Fire, which was sold out. That was my first sold out show. I'd come all this way through music, man, and all this shit, all these years. (laughs) I was like 31 years old. Pretty wild shit, man. This demo took 13 hours, and and the drummer did his part in an hour. I was like, and slept the rest of the time. I was like, you fucking dick. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Adam Air M (laughs) D G E D and uh, my underground cartoon therapy. And I hope you enjoyed this rock and roll episode. It was pretty tight. Alright, guys. Skywatch is calling me. Skywatch Media News. UFO is heading towards us. Oh, shit. Grab your umbrellas. <laughs> Alright, I love y'all. Talk to you soon. You've been listening to Adam Air, MDGED, Underground Cartoon Therapy. Motherfucker.